0: I'm Kira Thielander, and I have the privilege and honor to introduce to you tonight a friend, colleague, and someone who should be an example to all of us, Dr. Carol Spears. A bit of the facts of Carol's life, she did her undergraduate training at Samford University. She got an MBA at Georgia State University. She worked in the telecommunications industry for a number of years. If that wasn't enough, God called her to medicine. She went to medical school at University of Alabama, and then she went to general surgery residency at the University of Kentucky. After working for a few years in Kentucky, she then moved to Kenya to work at Tenwick Hospital and to help start the first surgical, general surgical training program at Tenwick Hospital with the Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons, and through her time there, she was the glue, she was the glue that kept that residency together. She's trained a number of residents there, and then God called her to a new place, and she moved to the Middle East a few years ago, where she's now serving, also as a general surgeon different challenges, and we're going to hear about those tonight. But some things I want you to remember about Dr. Spears, she said I couldn't introduce her too long, but I'm taking some liberties because there's a lot to say that she won't say about herself. She's a colleague, but more than that, she's a friend. And more than that, she's an example to all of us, not just how to become a surgeon, but how to love God and how to love Jesus well. And I will say, because she won't say this, that we all can follow Carol, Dr. Spears, as she follows Jesus. So please, this evening, would you welcome with me a hero of the faith, Dr. Carol Spears.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Kier, for those kind words. And thanks to all of you for being here, and wasn't the worship just amazing? It's just so perfect for what I hope we can talk about this evening. You know, I started coming to this conference over 20 years ago when I was a resident over at University of Kentucky in in Lexington, and what an impact this conference has had on my life and on my missions career. Um, you, you have to kind of watch out when you come to this weekend, because your whole course of your life can be directed, but boy, have I benefited from that and cherished that and been thankful for that? Tonight, I am honored to be speaking to you, I'm very humbled. I'm up here not because I have any great success stories in medical missions, but because I have a great God. A God who walks with us and rejoices with us through the good times. He calls us and he gives us vision and passion and a desire to follow him to places all over this planet. And a God who walks with us, and cries with us, and grieves with us, and shows us more of himself in the hard times. That's the God I'd like to talk to you about tonight. Because no matter how cold we are, or how faithful we are, there will be times of difficulty in all of our lives. And we'll wonder if we got it right. We'll wonder if we are in the right place doing the right thing. And God will meet us in those times. He'll show us his beauty, his power, his character. Perhaps in ways that we couldn't have known any other way. I called this session tonight the God of the Desert because I live in the desert now and and finding hope and beauty in our trials because that's been my life's experience and I want to share some of that with you. Um, I'm surrounded by the desert in the Arabian Peninsula so I wanted you to kind of see some of these pictures. I never fully appreciated the beauty and the vastness of the desert. Sometimes it's pretty sparse as well. As we are going to see as we read in First Kings 19 tonight, we'll talk about Elijah sitting down under a broom tree. And this little bush is like a broom tree shrub. And it gets a little bit bigger and it gave him some shade. And a couple of weeks ago our team went out to this location and had a little team picnic and the kids uh, had some battery-powered lights, and so that decorated the tree. And I thought that would just maybe give you a visual image of what we're going to read about. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. This, read the story of Elijah. It's probably familiar to so many of you and I'd like to share some of what I've learned from this beautiful story. It's had such an impact on my life. And I'd like to interweave some of my own story in with Elijah's in the hope that you will remember when the hard times come your way, how God was there for Elijah and he's been there for me. To set the stage a little bit, we first meet Elijah in 1 Kings 17. And he's hearing from God. He's a prophet. And he goes to King Ahab and he says, there's going to be a, a drought. There's not going to be any rain for years. And he has to escape and go to the ravine where the ravens feed him. And then next he has to escape again and the widow and her son feed him. And the, the flower and the oil never run out. Miraculously. And then in chapter 18, there's a showdown between our God, the only God Almighty, and Baal. And Jezebel, who had 450 prophets of Baal up there on that mountain, on on Mount Carmel, dancing and, and trying to sacrifice a bull, and Baal never showed up. And then Elijah prays and God shows up in a major and powerful way. And he comes down and he burns up the sacrifice and even the altar. And then Elijah prays for the rain to come. And the rain comes. And I I can't help but believe Elijah feels like, okay, God, you've proven yourself. You are the one and only God. Now everything is going to change. Let's see what happens. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, quitting the ministry. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he says. Take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and he slept. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb. The mountain of God. Another name for Mount Sinai. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put the prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, appoint Hazael king over Aram, also appoint Jehu son of Nimshi, a king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve oak of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Then Elisha set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. There's so much to unpack in this story and to, to... gather and to draw meaning from. I hope that we can at least cover these three three main points tonight that finding in that God of the desert that it's often in the deserts of our life experiences that the beauty and the character of God becomes stunningly clear. And God may send us to the desert But he's going to arm us with purpose and direction. And it's by abiding in him that there can be fruit. And lastly, the importance and the gift of community. You know, initially it's going well for Elijah and he's hearing from God and he's following God's voice and doing what he tells him to do and going where he tells him to go. And God brings this proof that. Obviously, he alone is God up on Mount Carmel, but then nothing changes. No one changes. Jezebel threatens Elijah, and he's afraid, and he's likely seen what she's capable of. So he runs. Verse 3 says he was afraid and ran for his life, and let's unpack that a little bit. Is it possible that Elijah was discouraged? Do you think that maybe he was disillusioned, that what he thought would happen is not happening? Do you think he could have even been despairing? Can we relate those terrible D words, discouragement, disillusionment, despair? Elijah goes deep into the desert and he sits down under the scrub tree and he says, I've had enough, God, and he wants to die. Maybe we don't want to die, but maybe we can relate to saying, God, I've had enough. I I want to leave. I want to get out of this place. I've had enough. I'd like to share some of those moments from my own life and my own journey and how God has met me in those and how it's safe to take some of those fears and concerns and feelings to God, and how he will show you more of himself. As you heard from Kira, I'm a second career doctor. I worked in the telecommunications industry, and I went on what I thought was a vacation to celebrate getting through with an executive MBA program. went to visit a friend who was in Nigeria. She was working with Dr. John Tarpley and Maggie. I don't know, they're here somewhere. One of my heroes of this medical missions work that we do. Little did I know that that mission trip was going to lead to meet God calling me to go back to medical school. I didn't even know you could do that in your 30s, but there were about 16 of us that we called ourselves the retreads in my medical school class. Eventually, I chose surgery, and I went to the University of Kentucky to do my surgery residency. And during that time, under the influence of this conference... I ended up taking a year out and doing what was sort of like a research year and going to Tenwick Hospital in Kenya. That year was an incredible influence on my life and it was where God called me to do this as a career, not just as short-term missions, which is what I thought I would do. One morning I was walking up to the OR and I just felt something go through my body, just a shiver and chill bumps and... I found myself thinking, I love this. I can't imagine doing anything else but this. It was a tremendous year, spiritually, medically, surgically, and and also a year to, to see the importance of the relationships on the mission field. Toward the end of my time there, a friend and I went on a little weekend getaway to Lake Naivasha to a beautiful resort, and um, we were taking time out to pray, and I was soon returning to residency back in the U.S., and I was trying to prepare for that. We left on Monday after the weekend around 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We'd only gone about 10 kilometers when out from the side of the road came four men. Two were carrying AK-47 machine guns, one had a knife and I'm not sure what the other one had. They forced our vehicle to stop and then forced their way into the vehicle making my friend get in the back seat between two of them and I was wedged in the front seat between the other two. They drove us to a very remote area where there were no farms or people or cars. They had us get out of the car and come to a clearing and kneel down on the ground. They began going through all of our things. And the leader came over to us and at gunpoint demanded more money. We said, we don't have anything else to give you. You, you have everything that we have. We don't have any more money to give you. And that wasn't good enough. The leader took me a short distance away to another group of trees He raped me. He brought me back over to my friend and I knelt down and we resumed praying. This whole time we had been praying, whispered prayers. Jesus, please be with us. Jesus, please protect us. The leader rejoined the other men and they began talking in very angry, heated Swahili, still whispered. We couldn't understand what they were saying. We clearly had the impression that they were arguing about whether or not they would kill us. About this time, we heard the droning of a small, single-engine airplane, which was very unusual for that area. We never found out whose plane it was, and it doesn't matter. It could have been an angel. It scared the men and they gathered up as many of our things as they could and began walking off. We waited a few seconds and we looked around for the car keys and we tried to flag the airplane and it didn't see us. And so we started walking the way that we had come from. We think we had walked about 45 minutes when a British lady stopped to pick us up and she and her husband run a dairy farm in that area. It's not her habit to pick up hitchhikers. But she could tell that we were in some distress. She took us to their dairy farm and they had a guest house and some of our friends took, came from Tinwick, took care of my medical needs and our mission leaders came from other parts of Kenya. And that night as we were gathered around the fire in that guest house, talking and praying, crying, I had the clearest Image of Jesus with his arms outstretched and tears rolling down his face. Because when we hurt, he hurts. And I felt him saying, trust me, Carol. I had seen six years earlier how God had helped me and my family through the tragic death of my father in a car accident I had felt his presence and his strength and his power and his comfort during that time truly the most difficult thing that I've ever experienced and I knew I could trust him so I said okay Lord I will trust you and the next day we go back to Tenwick and We share our story with the missionary community there, and they were praying for us, and so very wonderful to gather around us. Initially, I didn't want anyone to know, but eventually I said, okay, yes, let's tell our prayer teams and our supporters. And we, they started sending out emails, and I sent out one to my prayer supporters back home, and we literally could feel the prayers of people all around the world. I began taking HIV prophylactic medicine. I was very sick from that, and about 10 or 12 days later, I was really worried about HIV. I was worried about pregnancy, and so I sent some blood work to the only lab in Kenya at the time that could do a very early type of HIV test. Imagine my shock the next day as I called to get the result, and I they said, we're sorry, it's a positive HIV test result. I said, I'm sorry, you must be confused. This is for Carol Spears from Tenwick Hospital. They said, no. And I said, well, I want you to redo it. Rerun the test. And they said, we've already done that. That's how we confirm it. It was a positive result. I hung up that phone, and I was devastated. And I was angry with God, perhaps for the first time in my life. I was at the end of any faith or trusting that I could do in my own strength. And that was exactly where God wanted me to be. I'm sorry to say that I wrestled with him over the next four or five days. I really didn't know what else to do. and I would read scripture, but it would make me angry. And I would say, God, your word says you have unfailing love, but this doesn't feel like unfailing love. Your word says that you have a plan for good and not for evil, but this does not feel like a good plan to me. What about my future? What about, by this time I thought I was going to be a missionary surgeon. I wanted to follow him and to serve him. What about that God? As clearly as I've ever heard anything in my life from him, I continued to hear him say, Trust me. I didn't want to trust him. I wanted to fix it. You know, we surgeons, we are kind of guilty of wanting to have that to be what we do in life. Eventually, I said, okay. Okay, God, I trust you. As an act of my will, not with any emotion or feeling that I have, but I trust you. He didn't fix everything immediately. He did eventually. And I have tested HIV negative for all of the many years since that time. And I am thankful. He either healed me or that test was wrong. But praise God, he did it. And he gave me my life back. And I thank him for that. I was able to go and finish residency and to follow him and to become a missionary surgeon. But what I am so thankful for. That I could not have experienced any other way. Is the glimpses of his character. Of how much he loves us. Of his faithfulness. Of his trustworthiness. And the fact that he is sovereign in all things. And he is good in all things. All the time. Even if the answers are different than what we hope for. When God leads me to tell the story, I always want to be so sensitive to others in the room who have their own story. And not all stories have a happy ending. And if that's your situation, my heart breaks for you. I'm so sorry for what you have gone through. I pray that God has met you. In your journey. And allowed you to see his character. But I also pray that if this opens wounds. And if there's somebody you need to talk to. I am willing. There are people and wonderful organizations here. That are willing to talk to any of us. I was able to return to the University of Kentucky and finish my surgery training. And um, I stayed on faculty for about a year and a half as I raised support and ended up going back to Tenwick. I didn't know that I would be doing that as I left. I had the amazing privilege of working with colleagues there to start the Tenwick Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons PACS residency training program. And over the next 12, 13, 14 years to see what God did to build that program. I'm so grateful for the PAX organization and what they're doing all over Africa to train up surgeons who are also missionaries and who love Jesus. I felt like I was in a front row seat of, of seeing God at work and I felt like I was where he called me to be in and in a place that I loved. So you would think everything would continue to just go perfectly, right? No, it's not how it worked. Not for me. I was only about two and a half years into my time as a missionary surgeon and um, only about a year and a half into our residency training program and... One Monday morning I just woke up and I felt completely overwhelmed and unable to function. Interestingly, it was right after we had returned from the coast of Kenya for a a retreat, a spiritual retreat with our mission. I didn't know what to do. I'd never been in that type of situation before. So I went to my colleague and I said, "I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm overwhelmed. I don't feel like I can do it anymore. I'm sure for you, just as it was for me, it wasn't really the volume of the work and the amount of work or having to work hard. That was the issue as I reflected on it and looked back later. There were some serious relationship issues and some spiritual warfare going on, sadly, with some of our residents at the time. And with a national colleague at the time who had become so adversarial. And those conflicts and those relationships can, can eat at a part of your soul that, that can just be destructive. And the enemy can use these types of things to get into our head and, and to cause us difficulties. Thankfully my colleagues encouraged me to take some time away and I, I did. I left Tinwick and I went to the coast and and had some time at the beach and I rested and I slept and I prayed and I got help and I processed things with other people. You know when we see Elijah and he's sitting down under that broom tree and he's just saying, I've had enough. God, I I can't do this anymore. What happens? God sends an angel to feed him, to give him water, to encourage him to rest and to sleep. Not just one cycle of all of that, but a whole second cycle. He sleeps again, the angel wakes him up again, and he eats and he drinks again. I love that image of of the angel. Maybe a, a... Manifestation of God and of Jesus, with this angel caring for Elijah with tenderness, with concern for his well-being, and with love. Sometimes burnout or exhaustion or depression may take you to the point of feeling overwhelmed and like you can't do it anymore. I think the Scripture is pretty clear to us in so many places about the importance of rest, the importance of Sabbath. The importance of staying connected to Jesus. Sometimes you're just not able to think very clearly or to process all that you need to. Sometimes you're not even able to pray or to read your Bible or to worship until you've rested. Part of what God had to teach me during that particular episode of my life was his unconditional love for me. I came out of that few weeks knowing that I am his beloved. You are his beloved, period. He cares more about our being than our doing. We are all conditioned to perform and to produce and to, to do the work that God's calling us to do. And that's what we go with our calling, eager to do. And I, I think our works are a part of us working out our salvation and, and calling glory to God and, and being His hands and feet. But if in doing that we lose sight of Him, And we stop abiding in him and we forget that we are his beloved and that he wants us to spend time with him and commune with him and abide in him. Eventually it will catch up with us because we cannot do it in our own strength. I'll add that sometimes you need more than just rest and good food. Sometimes you need professionals to help you and to guide you and whose calling is to serve those of us who go and serve and there's some organizations here that do that wonderful wonderful ministry God surgically excised Those people that were causing so much difficulty within the next four to five months. So he had a plan all along. He just needed me to learn something and to see him in a whole different way. And what he did is he brought new people, new colleagues, new residents that were filled with such a passion for Jesus. And such joy that it changed the entire trajectory of our surgery residency program, over my time there from 2007 and then in 2008 when we started the residency program with two residents and two or three of us colleagues to January 2019, right before I left, when he had grown it to a full contingency of not only general surgery residents, but also orthopedic residents, and to him be the glory. I cherish those years and that chapter of my life, and I love those young men and women, and I admire them so much. As I continued at Tenwick, I thought I had gone there to live out the rest of my career there. And I thought that's where God had wanted me to be. I'd already changed careers once. And all of a sudden, I started feeling a new calling on my heart. This unexplainable desire to serve Muslim people, especially Muslim women. I began to feel like God had another plan for me. And I began to sense that he was loosening the roots that I had tried to put down there in Kenya. As I pondered caring for Muslim women, I had a realization that they often want to be cared for by female physicians and female surgeons. And I knew there weren't very many women in surgery in my part of the world now. And I began praying about what would God have me to do. He began giving me this new calling and an assurance that it was him at work. And since I'm a general surgeon, I needed a hospital to be affiliated with. And where could I go in the Muslim world to be able to do that? And I heard of several and I began visiting around and and seeking where it would be that God would have me to be. I heard about the hospital where I am now and the amazing legacy of this place. The shakes in this particular area had a problem. The women were dying in childbirth, 33% maternal mortality at the time, 50% infant mortality at the time, way back in 1960. They went to a neighboring country and received incredible health care from another a hospital with Christian medical missionary doctors. And they asked them, Will you send us some Christian medical missionary doctors from North America? As God would have it, there was a couple that they were both doctors. And they had been slated to go somewhere else. And instead they weren't able to go there because of instability. They had been studying Arabic in the region. And God sent them to our area. They began working and in 1960-61 our hospital was founded and and they began saving lives. And women weren't dying in childbirth and the babies were living and they God gave them favor. He gave them favor with the people and favor with the rulers. And that extends to this day in our setting and is really unheard of in our part of the world. We can function as a Christian mission hospital. We have a motto that talks, yes, about excellent and exceptional health care, but it closes by saying we want to provide that with the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. So I went to this new place in January of 2020, right before the pandemic, and I know that has impacted my transition over the past three years. I've had the privilege of being able to care for some families and some women. I've been learning new cultures, not only one new culture, but in our area of the world many people come for work and there's over 200 different nationalities that work in our country. There's over 40 nationalities of just the people who work within our hospital. The opportunities are tremendous to be a beacon of light and truth and love. All of these wonderful new experiences and yet concurrently with all of this in our setting, in this context, life can be hard. And work can be challenging. It's not always easy to thrive or to see tangible results or to to be sure that we're in the right place doing the right thing. So this summer, after two and a half years, I took a couple months off and I came back here to America and did some vacationing with friends and took time out to say, God, am I where you want me? Am I doing what you were calling me to do? Is, is this the, the right thing? It was during this time that I got a call from Will asking me to speak as a plenary speaker. And I wanted to say, I'm the last person who needs to be up there sharing. I'm, I'm questioning, am I even doing the right thing? And as we talked in his kind and encouraging way, he said, I just want you to tell your story. As I prayed about it, I really felt God saying, I want you to tell your story too. But I want you to tell the story about the struggles. And about how God meets you in those struggles. You're not alone if that's your story as well. You're not alone because God is with you. He's with me. But you're also not alone because many of us in this room Perhaps we're in that boat now, perhaps just came away from some crisis, or maybe we're about to head into one. I I felt like this time, God was reminding me of point number two, that there is only through abiding in him that he's going to be able to produce the fruit. It's his work to produce the fruit. We are to persevere. In this world there will be trials and there will be suffering. We are to persevere and we are to abide in him. Several years ago, God had given me the scripture of John 15:16, And it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit. That will last. That's our desire to see that fruit that will last for all of eternity. People healed for all of eternity. So, just like in verse 15 of 1 Kings 19, when God tells Elijah, go back the way you came, Elijah. Go back through the desert. But with purpose and direction and instructions, to invite, and to, that God will bear the fruit, whether we get to see it or not. You know, I've wondered why does God send us to the desert, but I think it's because in those times we have to depend on him and rely on him and seek him. We are not able to do it within our own strength. He gives us our calling, and I think as medical missionaries, it's very important to hang on to our calling and to remember it. He calls us, he sends us, he we go and we want to be faithful, but he's the one who will produce the fruit. I'm struck by how Elijah travels 40 days and 40 nights down to Mount Horeb. There's nowhere in what we read that God is the one telling him to go there. He's going through desert the whole way there. He's in the desert when he gets there. And God sends him right back through all of that. Sometimes there's things that we've got to learn and there's things that have to be refined in our lives. I also love how God shows up in such magnificent ways. The wind, the earthquake, the fire. Of course he is not in those, the scripture says, but he's a part of that. His strength, his power is at work and being demonstrated in that. And then he comes in the gentle whisper. Did you notice that he asked Elijah both before and after? He shows himself in all of this beautiful ways. Why are you here? What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. And interestingly, Elijah's answer doesn't change much. I don't know about to your ears, but to mine, I read that as just a tiny bit whiny. Just a tiny bit feeling sorry for himself. And even after he sees this magnificent manifestation of God, he, he still says the same thing. It's all, I'm the only one, God. I pray that when we get to see the glimpses of the Almighty God, that we, it changes us. And that it changes our perspective and our attitude. And that we don't fall in that trap of falling, feeling sorry for ourselves. Lastly, I think that we can learn from this passage the gift of community. Elijah had been telling God how he's the only one who's zealous for him. But God says, hey Elijah, I have 7,000 people who are faithful to me. And then he directs Elijah. He gives him purpose and direction. And he says, go find Elisha and anoint him to succeed you as prophet. He gives him a partner for him to mentor and for them to work together. One of the things I've learned along the way as part of my struggles and incredible counseling and things like that, that God... Creates us for community. Jesus sent out the disciples together. I did not go to, you, to my current country as, a, as part of a team. But a wonderful team adopted me into their team when I arrived. And it has been the most amazing blessing. Don't underestimate the importance of having like-minded and like-hearted people to surround you. I love it that scripture in the Old Testament and in the New Testament includes the stories of the struggles of our heroes of the faith. Just like us, they saw the amazing works of our God and yet, At times they too faced trials and had doubts and wondered if they got it right. If you're facing trials tonight or having difficulties, I'll be back down here in a few minutes and I've asked some people who work in some of these organizations to come down here. So I would encourage you to come and let us pray for you and connect you with resources. They're here to help us and to guide us through these difficult times. I also pray that this conference will be a place where you can find community and you can make friends that you will stay in touch with each other. I've heard so many stories of people who came to this conference, found each other, and then ended up going together to serve where God was calling them because they knew the importance of a missionary family. I pray you'll not be, not be shy and not be afraid to step out and to follow the calling that you hear from God. And to join him on a journey that you will never regret. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, I thank you for this conference and for the people that are here to assist in sending out the next generation of the workers that you are calling. And God, we pray you would continue to send out global workers For people to come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for not only our good times and the callings on our life, God, but thank you for those hard times. Where we meet you and experience you in ways that perhaps we could have not learned any other way. Lord, may you be glorified tonight and may you even now start to put on the heart of each one of us here, God, what it is you want us to commit to tomorrow as we have the opportunity to make our commitment before you. Now I pray you would give us safe travel and good rest and bring us all back here tomorrow. Lord, it's in Jesus' name. Precious name I pray. Amen.
0: Good night. You are dismissed.